It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line drive, this game is over! A goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the Now, ball. here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back, Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here. Mariners getting set to take on the Padres in the first of a very brief two-game series and then out on the road. It's hard to believe the last road trip of the season starting after the game on Wednesday. So Thursday against the Angels, four against the Angels, three against the Astros, three against the Rangers. A 10-game road trip for the Mariners before returning home for the final homestand of the season. Let's roll through the weekend a little bit. We'll check in with the Modesto Nuts, whose season came to an end. Also, we'll hear from Andrew Romine as well. So a lot to get to in this podcast. Unfortunately for the Mariners, not a great weekend over the weekend against the Yankees. New York takes two of three, although the Mariners do salvage the finale on Sunday. And it was a thriller of a ball game. Great close ball game as both teams going back and forth. Mariners trying to get the finale of the series. And Ryan Healy coming through with a big base hit. As the 1-2 comes home, swinging its looped into center field. Gardner comes in, has to play it on a hop. Here comes Cano. He steams around third base. He trots across the dish and scores with two outs and two strikes in the first inning. Ryan Healy has tied this game at one. And it was Mitch Hanniger who really took things over in the eighth inning. An incredible slide at second base on a stolen base after walking. And then on a fielder's choice scoring by his fingertips across home plate. Really, really impressive inning for Mitch Hanniger. Edwin Diaz on uh, in the ninth inning, and he did what he always does. Diaz kicks, fires. Swing and a miss. The slider gets Gardner, who was barking all the way back to the dugout, and he just got tossed. Gardner has been thrown from this game by Jeremy Rahak, and Aaron Boone is out to try to break things up. So he gets tossed out of the ball game, and then with a runner aboard, Mitch Hanniger makes an incredible play to end the ball game. Two outs, runner aboard, the 0-1. Swing, he loses the bat, it breaks with the handle. Fly ball, right field, Hanniger charging in, dives, and Hanniger makes the catch! A miraculous Superman-style catch in right field. How on earth did Mitch Hanniger just fight gravity and win? He has locked down a 3-2 Mariners win, the 54th save on the season for Edwin Diaz. Not alone, fifth all-time in single-season baseball history. And what a way to climb alone to the top five. It's amazing. Number five overall in history. He is one save away 
from tying Smoltz and Gagne for third most in baseball history. Bobby Thigpen is second on the list with 57 striking distance there. Francisco Rodriguez, of course, has the record 62. So Edwin Diaz that much closer to the all-time saves record. After the ball game, Mitch Hanniger talked about his incredible ball game and the win for the Mariners. All right, guys, I'm down here with a guy. Quick review, but he did indeed catch that ball. Mitch, what did you see on that play? Yeah, just playing, uh, standing real deep, no double situation. Uh, Got to respect his power and kind of blew one in there. So just hauled in, uh, luckily brought it in. And you see it in front of you. You make the leap. When do you know when to make the leap there? Uh, just kind of going off of, you know, how anytime you're in the outfield, you kind of have a read and uh, just trying to make a play. And if you feel like you can get your glove on it, go ahead and dive. And luckily caught that one. They took a look at it, but you had it all the way. Yeah, I, I knew I caught it. All right. Now, before that inning, absolutely some beautiful slides. And you know, talk us through the first one. When you're coming in, you know it's going to be a close play at second base. It almost looked like you slowed yourself down a little bit to get that other hand around. Yeah, just trying to beat the tag. Uh, felt like if I went in the left hand, he's going to tag my left hand. So stuck my right one in there and got it in. The other one, contact play. It can be a tough play sometimes all out just get the hand in yeah i mean that was yeah exactly like you said contact read and uh just trying to sneak in there luckily got underneath the tag and and got you know got the win have you had a chance to catch your breath in the last three uh, minutes a little bit yeah <laughs> all right to see the team come out cc has been very tough on this team to get those two runs early how big was that for this team that was huge you know just starting off swinging the bats early and uh you know it's a really good team over there so just got to bring it every inning and never out of a close game. And luckily, we uh, brought it in there in the eighth, and then Eddie sealed the deal in the ninth. All right. Good to get him out of town with the W. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. It was a really great ball game. Unfortunately, Yankees take two of three. Here's Scott's service reaction to the win. It's uh, finished by Mitch there. Yeah, I guess uh, Mitch Hanniger took over the last inning of the ball game. Um, yeah, outstanding effort uh, by him. But. Uh, yeah, good ball game uh, again today. You know, I thought our pitching staff, uh, the number of guys we ran in there, you know, starting you know with Erasmo, uh, you know, he hung in there. He had the, the bases loaded, nobody out that one inning, and you know, just gave up the one run on the, on the two out walk. So uh, he really battled. Uh, I didn't think maybe it was his best stuff or sharpest game, but you know, he hung in there, gave us a chance. Uh, you know, the guys after that out of the bullpen did a really nice job. Um, you know, offensively we get a couple. Couple runs early, and then you know CC kind of shut us down there. And then when you get into their bullpen, it is always is a challenge to to mount something. But uh, you know we played good. We, we did some things right fundamentally today. You know we got a leadoff walk. We stole the base. Key key play in that inning is the bunt. You know you got to get the guy over the third. You know we're aggressive on the contact play. Mitch great slide at second. Really good slide at home, and then makes a great play to, to get for the final out. So. Um, you know, nice to come back today. We needed to needed to get a win. Um, you know, give a few guys a day off, and the other guys stepped up. I thought the at bats were, were pretty good for the most part. Just contributed in a lot of different ways. He even had to throw to third. Yeah. he didn't have a big night at the plate, but he did get that. I think he, he showed what he's a very he's a good all around player. You know, and, and we get all excited about his bat and the power and the quality of bats, but he can defend. Certainly saw that. He can throw. Runs the base as well. Uh, he's a heck of a player. Russell had the opportunity to get out of trouble a couple of times. What did you see in his in kind of finding his way through that and getting out of 
Well, he was able to make pitches. You know, we go back to the bases uh, loaded, nobody out. He was able to get the strikeout uh, at Javaria. Uh, three really good breaking balls. Probably the best breaking balls he threw all day. Uh, after that, the at-bat against Gardner. He gets the first pitch pop-up, uh, which Negron makes a nice play down the line. And I thought he had McCutcheon struck out on the 2-2 pitch. You know, we didn't get the call. He ends up walking him. But he kept grinding through it, um, you know. Uh, like I said, it wasn't his uh, sharpest outing, but we made pitches when he needed to keep keep them off the board best he could. It's like it's been a while since kids like manufacture a run like that to be able to do that. That seems like you guys are doing more often for the first half of the season. Just yeah, today. no doubt. You know, uh, you know, moving guys around. Um, you know, the key is the walk. You got to be patient enough against Patances, uh, who's as tough as they get. Um, you know, to, to get on base and then, you know, be aggressive. Uh, you know, when we're on the bases and you know you can rick and run on him. He's a big guy. And he's slow to the plate. And I thought Mitch did a great job. Uh, nice slide. And that was the key to that one. Yeah, it was. We talked about the decision. Twenty-seven one run saves. Pretty amazing. Number. That's too many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too many for me. I. Uh, but he, he he continues to uh, just goes after guys, you know, and, and uh, you know Gardner is trying to slow the at bat down and, and getting on the umpire, and Eddie doesn't lose focus. He just stays right after him, and that's really a sign of his maturity really growing. Yeah, I mean it's also been a struggle second half. That's seventy nine wins on more than he had all of last year. What does that mean to you to be able to pass that? Oh no, it's, it's you know, we got a lot a lot of games left to play. We certainly uh, we've had some highs, we've had some lows throughout this season. Um, you know, um, key is just show up every day ready to play, no matter who's in the lineup. And we will, you know, shift it around a little bit, um, you know, keep some guys fresh, give some of the younger guys or the newer guys a, a chance to play a little bit, and, you know, hopefully it works to our advantage. All right, there it is, Scott Service talking about the win. And now the Mariners turn their attention to the San Diego Padres starting tonight. Oh, great to see Marco Gonzalez back on the hill. He'll get the start for the Mariners in this one. 7-10 first pitch here tonight. Just a brief two-game series. Wade LeBlanc will go on Wednesday. 3:40 first pitch for the Mariners on Wednesday. And then the M's head out on a road trip. The last road trip of the season, which is hard to believe. Okay, right now we'll turn things over to Shannon Dreyer. A chat with Andrew Romine. Shannon Dreyer in the Mariners Clubhouse catching up with Andrew Romine. And on Sundays we like to kind of gear these towards the kids as it is another kids' day at the ballpark. And you have the unique experience of uh, not only growing up with a father that played, but with a brother who played and plays as well. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your first, let's just take it way back, your first memory of baseball? <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Probably just playing in the backyard with, with my dad or something at the baseball field that I didn't even realize at the time how important it was, like, being three or four years old at a major league baseball stadium and not even knowing what the heck is going on. But I hear stories. I think that's where I get most of my memories because I was very young, um, about three or four years old, and, and my dad was still playing baseball, but memories are so vague. And uh, most of my first memories are like with him outside on the baseball field or with my brother or my sister or somebody playing. Mm-hmm. Your sister played too. Well, she didn't play baseball, but yeah, there, we were always playing baseball right. inside the house, outside. It didn't matter. When you were growing up, how did you like to watch the game? Did you have a favorite team? Or was it always your dad that you were watching? What? How did you watch? It was my dad's team. Obviously, you're rooting for dad no matter what. But 
um, growing up in Red Sox family, it's almost like you don't really have a choice. You gotta like the Red Sox. <laughs> do, you, do you have any memories of going to Fenway as a little one? Very little. I know I was afraid of the wave. I remember that. Not every time that it would come around, I'd get all scared, and my mom would have to hide me. But uh, just hanging out around the field was the most things that I remember. Mm. Uh, being in the locker room hiding in guys' lockers and, like, jumping out and scaring Wade Boggs and not even knowing, you know, I'm in Wade Boggs' locker or, you know, Roger Clemens and uh, his son and I were really close, so we were, and we're the same age, so we were always running around causing, causing some kind of havoc, but it, it was fun. It was, like I said, I didn't know how, how good I had it and what kind of experience I already had at two, three, four years old. Mm. It's pretty special. When you started playing organized baseball, what do you remember about um, learning to be a part of a team? Well, I remember my first t-ball team was in um, Massachusetts, out where my dad was playing when he was with the Red Sox. So I just I just remember being really, really excited to be a part of something. You know, you, you're always super excited to do the first time of something. But for me, the first time playing baseball was something extra special just because my father plays baseball and it's such a big part of our family so for me to be able to then throw on a uniform and you know put on a real baseball cap with my team on it um, it was something special to me and I know my parents were loving it you know being able to follow in my father's footsteps your brother played as plays as well was there rivalry when you were kids growing up uh, every day every day <laughs> every day to this day uh, okay. I'm still out there telling him we're gonna whoop their butt uh-huh. so um, I, I think it's only gotten worse over the years. We are extremely competitive. Uh, it doesn't matter what we're doing. It can be just a video game or something, and we're out here yelling at each other when the other person loses. So it's, And I think that that kind of had an influence on our drive to get here. You know, you, you got somebody that's pushing you along the way every day, um, even if it is just for fun and it's your brother. It's still competition, and you still get that experience of learning how to win and lose and be able to bounce back from losing and not think it's the end of the world what's the biggest thing you learned from him before either of you say made it past high school in baseball oh i think the i think number one was he was always very aware that you need to control yourself mentally emotionally so not just physically on the field you know get your hand in the right place or your foot in the right place it was more you know, you got to get your head straight. You got to you got to be able to fail. Like I said, you got to be able to know how to win, know how to lose, because this game is such a a failure oriented game that it's really really difficult for people mentally to handle it for a whole lifetime and then be able to do it at the highest level. Lastly, now that you're here, what's your favorite part of the baseball day? See, this is a tough one because. I've been around the game for a little while now, and I start to see what everybody else says, and I talk to the guys who have been here and left, and everyone's answer is always hanging out with the boys. And as the as the years have gone on, I start to realize, I mean, everybody wants to play baseball forever. They wish they could, but our bodies just won't hold up. But when you hear guys talk about, oh, I miss this, I miss that, it's usually hanging out with guys in the locker room or fooling around on the bus or the airplane. So. I feel like I'm starting to lean towards that with those guys. I feel bad because I'm like, no, you you want to miss baseball. You want to miss baseball the most. But you form such deep relationships with guys. You're around them every single day for eight months out of the year. And whether you like it or not, you got to be around them and deal with it. So it's almost like you got a fraternity going, just a big group of guys that are all kind of heading in the same direction towards the same goal. So you, you feed off of it. 
A lifetime in the making. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Andrew, thank you. Thank you. And now we catch up with Keaton Gologoli, the play-by-play announcer of the Modesto Nuts, as he explains how the season ended with Modesto. The Nuts were in a situation where they were competing with one other team and then a third team uh, could have ended up in a tie. And, and so there was a lot of things that had to break the, the Modesto Nuts the right way. But bottom line, they had to win their final four games uh, on the road. They won the first of a four-game series. Uh, they win the second when a guy comes in uh, off a plane at 6 p.m. to pitch <laughs> later that night at 7. And uh, the third game they ended up losing on a walk-off grand slam while up three with uh, two strikes and two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, two batters after a two-strike pitch had been hit to third with a diving stop and a late throw to first base. So could have ended three separate times before uh, the walk-off grand slam, but ultimately it was uh, the ultimate walk-off that ended the postseason run. A tough way to first season to end. When you reflect on this season, what are the kind of things that stick out from this year? This was a group of guys that was working under uh, Mitch Canham again. So um, he was uh, the manager again this season. And this was a group of guys that hadn't really been coached by him yet. And uh, one of the reasons the guys clicked so quickly last season on their way to a California League championship is they already had that kind of team mindset. Now, one of the things the Mariners try to do is teach these guys how to win in addition to uh, to trying to develop them um, at the bit or to get to the big league level. But these guys hadn't didn't really have that kind of cohesive nature in the clubhouse yet because everybody's still kind of in their own mindset. You're all trying to improve on your own. And you know, it's easy to think, hey, look, the scout's going to see me. I just need to do my job, and I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to be as focused to give myself up to win that day. But that started to get cultivated as the season went on, and, and it was fun to watch those guys kind of grow as a cohesive unit and to start to see them really turn their level of play up as the season went on, um, as they started to realize they did have a chance to get into the postseason. And then the other fun part uh, that you get every year, and particularly this season, was just watching the guys going through their ups and downs. You know, you see a guy have a tough month. They're working their tails off every day. They're trying to make the adjustments and then all of a sudden it clicks and it's one of those things that you see at the minor league level more than you would see at the big league level where guys all of a sudden can have a light switch flick on and that that's really the fun part and watching these guys really hone their talents throughout the year who are some of the guys that mariner fans should be aware of that really stood out to you this year now the first guy is evan white here's the pitch Swung on in line toward left field. Fargus going back. He leaps up, and it's over his head. Branton scores. Santo around third base with Cowan just feet behind him. They both come home, and they both score on a three-run double by Evan White. He was with us all season, uh, the 2017 first-round pick from the University of Kentucky. He's a guy who got pushed into Modesto, so he skipped over uh, Class A and went right to Advanced A, and he's a guy who had a big jump in power his junior year at Kentucky. Uh, he carried that over into this season uh, with the Modesto Nuts. And he was a guy who didn't have to make a lot of adjustments, but he was just focused on his timing and a little bit of his hand positioning and his, his posture. And as he just focused on those, you could see him start to figure it out more and more. And the, the most exciting part about it was we saw him have really hot stretches and then also have some of the struggles that you're looking for. You want these guys to go through struggles because then they can figure it out. Well, he went he was good, 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 and then July took a dip, hit 239, struggled, got into August, and got as hot as anybody in the league, hit five of his 11 home runs in the month of August, and this is at the end of the season when he's playing uh, his 112th, 115th game for the first time in his career since he was only drafted the year before. So he's a guy with some good power, a great approach to the plate, and an elite defender, and I mean absolutely elite. 
the all the reports on him lived up to expectations. And it's fun to watch a guy make an impact as a defensive first baseman. And then Kyle Lewis looked good before he got uh, called up to double-A as well. We saw him for about 60 games. And then there's two outfielders, uh, Luis Liberato. Swung on and hit hard in the air to left. Liberato got a nice jump. He's out of the warning track. He leaps up. Did he hang on? Oh, he did! He got it! It popped out of his glove and he snatched it out of the air again and then bounced off the wall. A run-saving catch in left field by Luis Liberato. And Anthony Jimenez. That ball is hit hard toward left field. Fargus gives it a few courtesy steps and turns into a spectator. A long two-run homer by Anthony Jimenez out to left center field. The Nuts strike first and lead 2-0 in the top of the second. Uh, these are two guys, both with some power, some very good speed. We saw them switch between center and left field. They both play great defense because we can watch good defense uh, at our ballpark in Modesto. There's just a lot of ground there. So um, those, those two guys as well uh, are also uh, guys to look out for. Let's talk about Evan White's defense because I think when we talk about elite defenders, I think people can picture what a, an elite shortstop, for example, looks like. What does an elite first baseman look like defensively? So it takes a lot to stand out yeah. as a defender at first base. And uh, first and foremost, it's the footwork. That's where the nuance really comes from. And you know, I've had a chance to have a few conversations with Evan and some other guys. And our hitting coach, uh, Joe Thurston, came up and, and uh, had some big league time and also had some time with Freddie Freeman in the minor leagues as well. Um, that was the guy he compared him to defensively, like Freddie Freeman at first base. Uh, but it's first of all the footwork. And then for, for Evan, you know, he was a guy who his key, he always said, was to get really low. So he gets really low as soon as contact is made to try to read that hop try to read the, the hop on any throws, and his his range from left to right around the bag is so far. I mean, the nuance of just stepping on the home plate side of first for a throw that way versus an outfield side of first base, I mean, that's a few inches to get you that extra range. So he's long, he's flexible, he gets great reads, and his footwork is phenomenal, and it comes from a lot of hard work. And, and if he wasn't a left-hander, yeah, he'd be, it'd be real easy for him to play at shortstop or at third base, and we'd be talking about an elite defender at third base. But as a left-hander, he's kind of anchored there, and, you know, Know, when you're thinking about uh, projections or, or comps like the Freddie Freeman, and it's not too far to say he looks like a Cody Bellinger in the National League. I mean, these are the guys who, who are really, really good, and they save so many outs. The outs and the bases and the errors they can save really makes a huge impact, and you notice it when somebody who's even average comes in and plays for a game. That's when it really stands out because you get so used to it. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team. 